Good morning. It's good to be with you in order to share a little bit of God's Word. Just a couple weeks ago, we kicked off this life plan series with a key foundational verse out of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that says this, because in this verse, it's going to tell us that we are all created with a purpose, with a unique calling that God wants to live out in our lives. And it says this, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, in this verse, we can generally understand that God has given us a certainly a unique calling, but most of us are challenged with understanding what that verse or what that calling is in our lives. And so we gave you a math problem to solve in order to help with that. It's this, that our passions mixed with our gifts, our talents, our skills, along with an understanding of God's purposes equals our calling. Our passions, our gifts, and God's purposes together, we can find our calling. And though uh, we spent the last couple weeks helping us understand a little bit more by how our physical and our relational legs of our life plan can play out and support what God wants to accomplish in us. Today, in this leg, I'm going to talk about the financial plan, the financial leg of this life plan that will help us when it's in balance and it's operating right, we can live with a generosity in order to live out that life plan. So if you would this morning, go ahead and join me with me in, a, in just a word of prayer as we open up our time together. Father God, we thank you for just the time to be together. We give you our attention. We ask that God, that you would be our instructor, that you would be our encourager. You be the one who inspires and, and, and changes and works within our lives to help us understand the things we need in regards to our finances, that they can be played out, lived out in our life plan, God, and that we could uh, use them to further the work that you want to do in us and through us. And so be with me, God. Fill in the gaps where my words come up short. Fill in those things, God, and help us find an understanding from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. When our girls, we have two, two daughters, when they were little, we gave them a piggy bank. And this piggy bank was was designed with like three sections in it. The first section was shaped like, like a church. The second section was shaped like a bank. And the third was shaped like a house. And in this piggy bank, we were uh, attempting to teach our children the principles of giving to God, then saving for tomorrow, and spending for what we need in our lives. Now, we used words and phrases that communicate to young girls but those biblical principles, those simple principles of life, we attempted to pass those along. And now as young adults, we believe our daughters have captured some of that, taken that to heart, and are beginning and living those things out in their own life. Well, I don't know what it's like for you and what your life has been like. And what I'm going to describe may not be your life, but it might be. I want to say this. For most of us, we get out of high school, maybe uh, a little bit of college, and when we graduate college, we find that we have a little bit of student debt. We have gotten our first MasterCard because, you know, they market to those young adults who are in college. Then we get out of college, 
right? We then get our first grown-up job. Now, it may not be, you know, the end-all, be-all, but we're on our way. And then we discover that our 1972 blue Chevy Vega just doesn't turn heads like you expected it would. As a matter of fact, I had a blue Chevy Vega, and it just didn't turn heads, okay? But uh, so you say, okay, uh, it's not, it doesn't give me what I deserve, so I'm going to go get a new car, And so you go out with a spoiler package and the sunroof, and you get a new car with the 72-month payments that go along with it. And before too long, you have met the uh, your dream girl, the 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 wife of your of your of your of your dreams. And so you get married, and then uh, you realize that as a young man, as a single man, perhaps that cinder blocks and one by eight bores work fine for an entertainment center or a coffee table, but for your delicate little flower, not so much. So off the two of you go to the furniture store to get a living room ensemble, the dining room table set, and maybe your resort-like bedroom furniture. And you've barely been married 20 minutes, okay? And so when that isn't quite enough, your friends begin to whisper, over time, you need to buy a house. You need to buy a house. It's time. you got to buy a house. It's crazy. You have barely got out of high school, college, and you've been married, and maybe an hour has passed in all of your life, and you're up to your eyeballs in debt. And as I describe that, many of you listen to me say, well, what's, what's wrong with that? What's the problem? That sounds perfectly normal to me. Well, that's exactly the problem, that that seems normal to any of us. I know some of you are are listening to that, and you're shaking your head, and you're saying, yes, that's kind of how it works. The problem is debt has been marketed to us, has been so intentionally and intensely uh, communicated to us that we have begun to think that is normal and acceptable. And the problem is that breaks the leg of our financial plan for our life. Debt will do that. You might remember a warning in Scripture that is found in Proverbs chapter 22. And it says this, the rich, that is the banks with money, rule over the poor. That's people without money. And the borrower is slave to the lender. See, this keeps us from practicing generosity and living out of this financial leg in our calling. Today, the big idea that I want to communicate with you is this. God's intent, God's intent has always been that we practice generosity in living out our calling. Practice generosity. But how do I do that, you're thinking? How do I do that? I, I, I know I'm supposed to maybe live with a little more generously and to live out in generosity, but don't I have to have something, don't I have to have something to actually practice generosity? Well, first of all, we have time and we have talent that we can use and practice generosity. But you'd be right in thinking that since we're talking about the financial leg of our life plan today, that I'm going to talk about how do we practice generosity, not only with our time and our talent, but specifically with our treasure with our money and our resources. I know, still some of you are thinking, but don't I still have to have something 
in order to be generous. And of course, you're thinking, yeah, you got to have money, but you got to have more money than you currently have. See, for most of us, we live from paycheck to the proverbial paycheck, month to month, thinking that we've got more month than we actually have money, so how am I supposed to be generous? Well, I'm going to attempt to give us a few steps and outline a few things today that might help us get to that place where we can practice generosity in our lives. And I'm going to say, and just to outline, it's these three things. That first, we take a baby step. Okay? Then we take another key step. I call it a key step. We take another step. And then lastly, we begin to give. We begin to give to God's callings and ultimately to those he has given to us. So let me talk with, the first, with you for the first step of getting to this practicing generosity. Baby step number one is this, to create an emergency fund. An emergency fund to save $1,000. This is the goal, to save $1,000 as fast as you can so that you are set whenever those unexpected events in life come up. And the truth is they're going to come up. There's going to be plenty of them over the course of our life. One of the things I discovered as I was preparing for sharing with you today is in a recent survey in December, just this last December, the 2019, that 70% of Americans, 70% have less than $1,000 in a savings account. 70% have less than $1,000 saved up for these unexpected circumstances in life. And surprisingly, this was a surprise to me, that 45% of Americans have nothing, have zero, zero dollars saved. And so essentially what that means, 45% have nothing saved, and only 25% more have just under $1,000, less than $1,000 saved. This is heartbreaking. And so for those in that survey who were asked How would you handle a $500 unexpected bill if it were to hit your household? And some of them said, well, I'd probably have to consider borrowing from a friend or family member. But the vast majority of them said they would use, say it with me, a credit card. They would use a credit card. And I can almost feel the number of heads that are nodding right now saying, well, yeah, of course, that's what it's for. That's what we're supposed to use it for. The issue is a couple things, and let me point out in, uh, in Proverbs for you. In Proverbs verse 21, uh, chapter 21, verse 20 says this, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. See, now Tim's translation. The wise man saves the fool does not. Proverbs 13, verse 7 says this, One person pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Tim's translation, One person seems to have it all and is broke. Another pretends to be poor, yet has... Uh, and then the other seemingly has nothing, and yet they can be generous. Generous with their life. See, the issue or the challenge in saving is not necessarily money. It is not the lack of money. It's how we are spending the money that God has given us. I know some of you are thinking, I shouldn't have said that. I should, I should continue the mantra, that's, mantra that says, 
we need more money. I need a raise. I need more money. But that doesn't really solve the problem because I suspect that if we had more money, it wouldn't result in savings. Because ultimately, money is not the problem. It's the spending. It's the choices we are making with the money. See, the primary issue for most Americans is not that we uh, don't have any money in savings uh, so that we can uh, deal with those unexpected issues. It's that we have been carrying debt, too much debt, for too long. Because the truth is, when we have debt, we are already living with the choices we've already made in life. And so back to that scripture verse in, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. How many of us listening to me today know what it's like to be a slave to the lender in one form or another? I, I, I almost think that I should recommend that you go down to Lowe's, that you buy a cinder block, you buy a chain and a lock, and you tie that up and around your leg, and you carry it with you for the next month or two until you get so sick and tired of carrying the weight of that cinder block that you decide that you are going to make a change in your life. Perhaps some of what I'm saying isn't that popular to hear, but the truth is debt will keep you from saving money. It's a robber. But this leads me to the second key step for us, this step is to dump the debt. That is to pay off the debt as quickly as possible using the snowball, the debt snowball approach. And so when I talk about dumping the debt here, it is by far the most abusive use of money that there is, credit card debt. And so this morning, I brought this pair of scissors with me, okay? And I'm going to leave it right here. Thank you. As a reminder to you for two things. One, that someone hearing me today might have a change in their thinking and cut away the old way of thinking that there is something to be gained by carrying this debt. To cut away those things that shape how we see debt, how we see savings, how we see giving to God, how we see these things, that we cut those away. But secondly, maybe somebody today realizes it's time to dump the cinder block and chain of debt in their life. And maybe you go to your purse or to your wallet and you take a credit, out a credit card or two, and today you decide to get your own pair of scissors and you cut those cards up because you're planning to get free of that. You see, paying 16 to 20% interest is a robber of your savings. It's a thief that is in your pocket even now. In addition to credit card debt, car payments are the second form of debt that most people will carry. And there's usually two lies about car payments that we believe. The first is we can never have a nice car without a car payment. And its ugly stepsister lie is that uh, I'm entitled to, I deserve, or I need, I need a nice car. Here's the crazy thing about car payment uh, debt and how it all adds up and how it robs us of savings. In 2019, 
The average car payment for a new car was $554. Used cars, payment $391, according to uh, the, the survey that was taken, and usually has 72 to 84 months payments. So let me take, for example, just a little exercise. We take $550 and we put it in a cookie jar. Just a cookie jar, we stash it away for 10 months. That's $5,500 that we could save, right? Just say yes, 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 it's $5,500. Now, couldn't you go and buy a nice, decent used car for $5,500? Again, the answer is yes, you could. As a matter of fact, I took the time to look up on car gurus out of the Salem area, and I found these three items, a 2008 Jeep, a 2013 Mazda, and, of course, a sweet little 2008 Mini Cooper. All right? So there are these cars that could be purchased with that $5,500, no payment, just a cash transaction car. Now, just for fun, follow with me. Another 10 months, you save $550 for that new payment that you're not having. You're saving that. And now you've got another $5,500 and a $5,500 car. So couldn't you sell that used car you have and have about $11,000 to buy a, even more, uh, a, a decent, more decent used car? Uh, of course you could. And here's some things I found also on CarGuru. You could get a 2015, and again, this isn't a commercial for CarGurus, uh, but you could find some wonderful deals uh, of some cars, and even having saved all that money, you could probably even pay your insurance for a year with the money you saved. Now, that being said, that's taken away the car payment. But let me go back to this idea of when we can eliminate debt in our lives and how we can continue to save money. Take this into account. $550. You continue to save that money. Okay? And you take that money. For 10 years, you would save $66,000. And if you were to invest that money in some kind of a growth thing in the stock market or in a Roth IRA earning 8%, you will have saved an extra $34,000, so you would have over 100000 And here's the crazy part. If you're a young person, like I'll say my, my daughters, if they start from age 30 to age 70 and they were saving $550 a month for those 40 years, not only would they have saved $264,000, they would have earned $1.5 million or could earn $1.5 million in interest. Now, think about that as an emergency fund. Think about that in regards to whether or not we need that new car versus saving for one. Because for you and I, we do not need to be a slave to the lender. We can have our money work for us rather than for that lender. So you're thinking... All right, Tim, gave me that information. I appreciate that. But how do I dump the debt? I'm carrying ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars in debt, and you want to eliminate it. Well, let me read a passage of scripture for you out of Proverbs chapter six and help you see and maybe get a clue as to how we might do that. It says this in, in Proverbs six verse uh, chapter six, verse one. My son, if you have put up security for a neighbor, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. 
Verse 3, do this, my son, to free yourself. Since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands, go. Go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. Verse 4, allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. And lastly, verse 5, free yourself. That is, free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. And as I thought about how to help you get a glimpse of this, there's a story that Dave Ramsey tells of a cheetah who is lying in wait, sneaking up on an unsuspecting gazelle. And then he says this, as the cheetah breaks out into a 60-mile-an-hour sprint after the gazelle, he says this, Dave Ramsey says, so the way you get out of debt is you run like you are a gazelle with a cheetah chasing you. You go crazy. I mean crazy intense. So gazelle intense, it's as if you're about to be eaten. You run. When you do that and you have that kind of intensity in getting out of debt, you break the gravitational pull of stupid and move toward a better direction. That's what gazelle intensity is, running for your life. You see, the cheetah only catches the gazelle one out of two times, 50% of the time. And the cheetah is significantly faster than the gazelle. And so the question might be asked, well, why doesn't the cheetah always run the gazelle down? And the answer is motivation. The same for us. It's motivation because you see, one of those wants to eat lunch. The other is trying to stay alive. And for you and me, friends, we need to stay alive by dumping the debt so that we can be free to live more generously in our life plan. So to help you, you can make a note here, to help you with this, I will be planning to host a debt snowball uh, exercise online on Zoom this Tuesday at 10 o'clock a.m. or Uh, in the evening at 6.30 p.m., and then again, another option on Thursday at noon. Go to hillchurch.com, look for opportunity to sign up there, and we'll get you connected and help you get gazelle intense with reducing your debt. You see, we have to work diligently like our lives depend on it, because ultimately, our financial life does depend on it. But this brings me, when we get to the point where we have we're saving some money, at least an emergency fund and building on that, and as we are able to reduce debt, we are able to then use that money for savings, but also to begin to live out and give generously to God's callings and to our own. So the question to ask in this third idea is, what, what is God concerned with to give to? What, is he, what does he put in your heart to be concerned with that we need to live out and be giving generously to those things. There's a passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians that Paul has penned for us in chapter 9 and verse 6. I'll begin reading there if you'll go along with me. He says this, he writes this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously 
will also reap generously. See, the context of this verse is giving to others. This is to support the Christ followers in Jerusalem. And here Paul uses this concept of sowing because we sow into the ground in order to reap. And when we reap, we have, the, 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 we have much in order to uh, give to others. It benefits not only ourselves, but it benefits others. And so we are to sow in our giving, in our giving to God and to giving to the blessings of others. He goes on and he says in verse 7, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Give to God's callings. And then he says, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Okay, what I am sharing with you now is, is, is not in any way to be intended as, as a pressure on anyone who is hearing me. It's only the instruction of God's word that each of us should consider honestly before God, how we are to be giving and follow the Lord's leading in this. Then he says, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And he says, then God will generously provide all that you need. Look at that again. God generously provides all you need. Then you will always have everything you need. And get this word, plenty. Circle or underline that if you're reading along in God's word. You always have plenty left over to do what? To share with others. Then he goes on in verse 9. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. The they here that he's referring to is the godly, to the people of God, those who follow God. They share freely and give generously to the poor. This is the way of God's people to be generous and giving, and giving even to those who have less. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Because when we are giving, we are investing in the future. Not only the future of others, but sometimes future personally in those that we are able to minister to and to give toward. And essentially, eternally, it's paid forward in those lives. Verse 10 goes on and says, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer. That's our paychecks. And then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. You see, we must understand that we need to get our finances into a place so that we can practice this form of generosity because this is what God intends. This is what God has always intended. And notice what he says and he doesn't say in this verse, this verse 10. God does say he will provide for you. He will provide the resources and increase the resources. But what he doesn't say is he doesn't do this ultimately for you for you to spend however you desire. Instead, he says, I want to produce a great harvest of generosity in you. God wants to create in us a harvest of generosity to his concerns, his callings, and ultimately to that calling that he's given and placed in us. This is God's word. This is God's intent for us. So let me ask you, are you yet giving to God's callings in your life on a regular basis? We call this kind of giving tithes and offerings. I encourage you, if not, then start. Start doing that. 
God's word challenges us and instructs us in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. It just says, test me in this. See if, if, if I don't open up the floodgates of heaven and bring blessing into your life. All kinds of blessing, not just financial blessing, when we trust God. A couple years ago, several years ago actually, Ron and I were part of an all-church journey called Consumed. And in our series small group, there were four different households, some couples and individuals who were in that. And in this series small group time, we gave a Malachi 3 challenge to our group to tithe for three months, for for 90 days, to tithe 10% of their income. And Ron and I said that if all their needs were not met during this time, that we would see that those obligations they had were taken care of, that they were covered. And everyone in the group agreed to do that for 90 days. Three months later, all four households had their needs met and pleasantly surprised at that. And not only were they able to do that, but even as a group together, we pulled together $200 extra dollars to be a blessing to someone outside our group during that same time frame. Now, I don't know why they took up the challenge that I offered. Uh, perhaps they uh, said, well, sure, they're going to pay for our, our, our needs if they don't come together anyways. And maybe they just wanted to see Ron and I squirm. I'm not sure. They may want just wanted to see us cough up a few extra dough, dough. But it all worked out, and God blessed. But some of you, I'm thinking, as I share that story, are probably saying, yeah, but that only worked out because they cut back or they kind of watched what they were spending. I say, that's because God's word is true. And you say, well, I'm not so sure. What's the real truth here? Well, let me say, first of all, God's word is true. We can trust God's word, and we can follow it, and we can see what happens. But also, I would say, so what? So what if those who took our challenge made some adjustments to how they were, resource, how they were stewarding the resources that God gave them, and they adapted some things? Because to me, ultimately, that's a win, and not so much a win for God, because God's going to take care and do the things that God says he's going to do. But it's a win for them. Because for us in our own spiritual growth, when we see God's word and we put our faith into action and we see God's word lived out and proves true, then we grow. And that's true with not just our finances, that's true in all of our life. So it doesn't matter wherever you are right now in your practice of giving uh, to God. It's not about the amount, it's not about the percentage, it's about the consistency. And so my encouragement would be to begin to give. And as we are saved, as we save, as we reduce debt, we're able to practice a greater degree of generosity. And when it comes to giving, not only to God's callings, but in giving to our callings, you know, our passions plus our gifts plus God's callings equals our calling, then we can begin to live more intentionally in giving to those So I ask you, what are you passionate about, okay? What do you want to give your time and your talents to, and even your treasure? You know, all that we have is not just money. We do have the time and the talent, but where is your heart? Are you you a lady that has a heart for young mothers? 
young ladies who find themselves with, their, with children, young children, then perhaps you can volunteer, for example, in playing out your calling with, with uh, Young Lives, a group that helps teens uh, who have children. You've got some mothering skills. You've got some life skills. You can begin to offer those as a volunteer, as a mentor, perhaps even giving to those things, even on a monthly basis to support that ministry, giving to your calling. And what about, what about somebody else? What are your gifts or your talents? You know, the skills that you've learned or that uh, have just come natural to you. Maybe you out there are a car guy or a car girl or gal, girl, gal. You're a car person. And you might think, okay, I, I have a teenage uh, teenager that lives next door to me or down the street. Maybe you could take them down to the auto parts store with mom and dad's permission. You can buy some oil, an oil filter. You could teach them how to change the oil in their car. Maybe you can invest some time, some talent, and some treasure to pass along some of what God has given you the ability and even the resources to do. I don't know what it is for you, but take this math problem and figure out how God can use you and then how you can use your money to invest in those things. You see, you and I, we cannot be generous until we get to a healthier financial place in our lives. And so I want to wrap up with these four things uh, going forward. Four things to consider for our next steps in how we can practice generosity. The first is to remind you that there's going to be some Zoom training this Tuesday or on Thursday. Again, you can find information at hillchurch.com. And then also, the second thing is, if you'd like a bigger picture than how to just get out of debt, and you want some questions about uh, saving and budgeting and planning for the future, then we have scheduled a Zoom Financial Peace University to begin in just a couple weeks. And so if you'd like to learn more about how to learn more about how to get some balance in your finances, then you'll want to participate in the, in the, in the Financial Peace group coming up soon. And then the three and four things is this. Start or increase your giving to God's callings. Through the local church, start or increase your giving. It might be a, a consideration for you. And the last thing is then to start giving to your own calling. Find out, be clear on what God has called you to do, and begin to live that out. As the band prepares to take the stage again, I want to remind you that at the end, there will be a couple slides that have some table talk questions for you that you can take a snapshot on and you can use to talk about where you are at in your financial leg of living out your life plan in order to move forward. But the band is going to play a song called How I Need You. How I Need You. And may this be an anthem for our hearts, for how we want to live our lives and to see the need of God in our lives and how we live out our life plan and fulfill our calling to God. God bless you.